Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. So growing up uh, with an older brother who was eight years older than me often meant that I learned a lot of life lessons, plenty of which I am not so happy about, but nonetheless, I still learned them. And uh, interestingly, you would think that being eight years apart might have kind of caused us to be a little bit distant, but that is so far from the truth. Uh, even though we're eight years apart, we are very, very close, and that is how we interact with one another, and sometimes it's a little uh, obnoxious, you might say, or at least that's what our wives might say, but that is for another sermon entirely. So having a brother um, who, who was eight years older than me usually meant that uh, if we were going to play a game or do something together, I was going to be smaller and, uh, you know, he was bigger, he was faster, he was stronger, he was quicker, and yes, he was even smarter than me. Now, uh, I didn't realize it then, but I probably could have used my small stature to my advantage in a lot of situations, but I didn't. And I think part of the reason is because I didn't want him to have any excuses if I ever want. I wanted to be able to go toe-to-toe with him. He couldn't tell me that he took it easy on me or that I cheated or anything like that. And I would love to tell you that I spent a lot of time winning, but that would be a lie. I didn't. If anything, I spent a lot of time losing, and it was not always pretty in games and competitions, whatever it was. And I got to be honest with you, to, to add a little more salt to the wound, I despised losing. I was definitely what you would call a sore loser. Um, if we were playing a sport or something like that and he would beat me and he would say, oh, good game, and want to shake my hand, I would like walk away from him like, good game, I don't like that. Or uh, <laughs> I have too many fond memories of uh, when we would play video games against one another and he would tell me, dude, I'm really good at this, you probably shouldn't play. And I'd be like, I want to play, I want to play, I'll beat you. And I would not. But here's the thing, he would get up, you know, he would be beating me really badly and then I would shut the game off before it ended because that didn't count. And I got to be honest with you, he really didn't like that. And I've been on the other end of it now. It's not good. I was a sore loser and uh, yeah, it was not a good time. Uh, But I will say, I'd like to imagine that I've gotten better at losing as I've gotten older. I've become a bit of a more graceful loser and especially in competitions with my brother, uh, I think that he needs the wins a little bit more than I do now. You know, I mean, who wants to lose to their younger brother, especially in front of their kids, right? So I'm really just being a nice younger brother at this point. But here's the thing. Even in the context of all the losing I did as a kid, you would probably think I may be a little bit of a better loser. And that would be half true. I still struggle with losing. And I imagine we all do. Uh, Nothing that we approach in life, generally speaking, whether it's a game or a competition or uh, something related to work, do we say, I'm going to lose today. We approach things with this mindset that we are going to win, and sometimes win at all costs, no matter what happens. We want to be the best at things that we do. We want to put our best foot forward. We want to win. And I imagine that's part of the reason why it's so hard to hear Jesus' words this morning, that Jesus is telling us, be ready to lose. 
See, as our, as our gospel text opens up, Jesus is headed to the northern region of Caesarea Philippi, the city up north, uh, about 25 miles north of where he just was. And he was originally in the city of Bethsaida, and he had been doing some healing, and he had just healed a man who was blind, and now he heads north. And in this northern region, there was a general population of, uh, of Gentiles. And what that means is that, of course, there were people who were not necessarily Jewish by birth, and so they were not included in kind of this family. They didn't study growing, they didn't grow up studying the law or anything like that. And so uh, with this Gentile population, there was a lot of rumors about who Jesus was. People had heard about him. Uh, They heard about the miracles and the things he was doing, but they still had some questions about who he really was. I imagine uh, the questions that you heard probably sounded familiar because they come up in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Uh, These same sorts of things that Jesus decides to ask his disciples, right? Because, of course, they've been with the people before. They kind of understand. They know what's being said. And so he asked them, who do people say that I am? And uh, they give him the general answers of that day and age, right? Remember, the rumors are swirling about who this man could possibly be. And so some say that he's Elijah, right? One of the more well-known prophets. Others say John the Baptist. And then, of course, others just say uh, just another one of the prophets of old that they have heard about. But then Jesus gets real personal with his disciples. He, He turns to them and he looks them in the eye and he says, who do you say that I am. You've been following me. You've been listening to me, hopefully. You've been watching me preach and teach. You should know, who do you say that I am? And confidently, Peter steps out and says, you are the Messiah. I mean, this is an exciting moment in the life of Peter, right? I mean, this is Peter's confession that he knows who Jesus is that Jesus is the Messiah, that everything that he has done, he is the one that he claims to be, right? I mean, when you think about what this was like for Peter, remember, uh, Peter is the guy who likes to be bold, who likes to step out and kind of be first. He's the guy who wants to walk on the water with Jesus. He, He later tells Jesus that he would never deny him, that Jesus calls him his rock. I mean, Peter is known for all these things, and this is one of them. In front of the disciples right there in that very moment, he confesses Jesus as the Christ. This was exciting for Peter and for the other disciples because it leads to what happens next. See, uh, now Jesus is able to not only tell them that they shouldn't tell anyone, but to continue to teach. And he tells them that the Son of Man will suffer. He will be rejected by chief priests and elders and scribes, and he will be killed and die. And then three days later, rise again. Now, this is the first time in the Gospel of Mark that the disciples are hearing this. This is the first time in the Gospel of Mark that Jesus is foreshadowing his death and his resurrection. So, as you might imagine, it was probably a little jarring for them to hear it in this way. But for Peter, it was more than that. It wasn't just jarring. It was practically blasphemous. How could the Messiah be saying something like that? That is not what Peter wanted to hear. Peter is so confident, feeling so good about who the Messiah is, that he tells Jesus to cut it out. Right? Uh, Scripture tells us Peter takes Jesus aside and he rebukes him. Peter rebukes Jesus. That's not normal. 
I mean, Peter just said he is the Messiah, and now he's rebuking the Messiah. And so all of a sudden, Jesus looks at Peter, and then he looks at the rest of his disciples, and he says, get behind me, Satan. You are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. And then Jesus gathers a crowd around. He wants everyone to hear what he has to say. He says, if any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it. And those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. If you had to choose, who would you rather be? Uh, would you rather be Peter who confesses Jesus as the Messiah or Peter who Jesus calls Satan? Yeah, I imagine you want to be the first guy, the one that confesses Jesus as the Christ. I mean, that is the version of Peter that we all want to be. We all want to be confident in our faith. We, we want to be able to boldly proclaim that faith, that we believe in this Savior and this Messiah, that perhaps we even have a level of belief that no one else has achieved yet. We, uh, if this were some kind of competition, it's fair to say that Peter won, right? And that's kind of what we want to be. We want to be the ones who lead the confession, who are known for believing in Jesus and being confident in that. And on the one hand, that can be a good thing good to be confident in our faith and what we know and in what Jesus teaches us and what we believe about Jesus. However, that same Peter, the, the same Peter who confesses Jesus as the Christ, moments later is the exact same one who then tries to tell the Christ what to say and what to do. You know, we're not given the exact words that Peter said to Jesus, but I imagine it was something along the lines of, Whoa, cut that out. Don't tell me that the Messiah is going to, to suffer and to die and to be rejected. I mean, coming from Peter's background anyway, this would have been really traumatizing because Peter assumed that the Messiah was going to be someone who reigned powerfully, a king who saw over all his people, not someone who was going to suffer and die. No, for Peter, that wasn't his Messiah. And I mean, if you think about it from Peter's perspective, if the Messiah was going to suffer and die, what does that mean for Peter? If the Messiah is going to suffer and be rejected and die, what does that mean for those who follow him? And Jesus, again, makes that clear. Be ready to lose. When Jesus says lose, he, he's not talking about uh, losing a game or a wrestling match against a sibling. Uh, when Jesus says lose, he's not talking about your car keys or your favorite shirt or your favorite pair of shoes. When Jesus says lose, he's talking about losing your life. And he means that both figuratively and literally. Jesus is ready to lose his life. And I don't know about you, but I don't really feel good about losing my life. I don't want to lose my life. I certainly don't want to lose my, my friends or my job or my loved ones or uh, my political party or my opinions or uh, my stuff. And I certainly don't want to have to suffer in the midst of loss. Um, I don't want to give any of that up. 
Isn't this the same kind of thinking that we hear in our world today? That, that if it comes down to losing something, well, that's not what we signed up for. We don't want to lose anything. It's this kind of thinking that turns us into Peter, who rebuked Jesus. Uh, this kind of thinking that, that leads us to, to a path of, of unfaithfulness before God, as we question what God is doing as if we have better answers. It leads us down a road in which we try to control everything going on as if we have all the power and we can abuse that power and we're only going to do what is best for us, what will help us win. It leads us to add amendments to God's commandments. We find ourselves sitting in a seat that we think we belong in as if somehow we are in control because we don't want to lose. And Jesus says the same thing he said to Peter. Get behind me, Satan. Those things, this way of living as if we are the almighty or we are the ones in control is of the devil. And Jesus doesn't want that for us. Jesus doesn't want us to follow the ways of the world. Jesus doesn't want Peter to do that. He doesn't want his disciples. He doesn't want anyone who believes in him to follow the ways of the world, to follow someone other than him. And following Jesus means be ready to lose. But here's the thing about Jesus. He was the kind of guy who led by example. See, Jesus was the kind of guy who did as he was going to do, that when Jesus spoke, he was going to carry out those actions. He wasn't uh, do as I say, not as I do. No, Jesus led for us. When he said, be ready to lose, he lost for us. Jesus came down and was rejected and was killed and suffered for us. He was ready to lose it all, and that's exactly what he did. He gave it all up for us, for our life, for our redemption, for our hope. He died on a cross for me and for you. And yet, in his willingness to lose, Jesus knew that he would conquer death. See, that's the thing about Jesus. There was nothing that could hold him down. Uh, there was no amount of spiritual force, uh, no evil in the world that could stop him from carrying out his mission because he rules over death and the grave because he is the Messiah. He is the anointed one, the son of God, the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. He is Jesus, our savior. Nothing can stand against him. And so even though he knows that he is going to lose his life, he will win the victory. He has already won the battle. In Jesus, we have already won our toughest battles. See, in Jesus, we've already won uh, the battle over addiction or depression and anxiety. In Jesus, we've already won the battle over fear and doubt. In Jesus, we've won the battle over, over hopelessness and sadness and sorrow. In Jesus, we've won the battle over days like yesterday, 20 years ago. In Jesus, we have won the battle over sin, death, and the devil. In Jesus, we have won the victory of eternal life.
My dear brothers and sisters in Christ, the, the reality of the Christian life, the reality of following Jesus is that more often than we would like, we're going to lose in this life. We're going to experience all kinds of suffering, things perhaps that you bring with you every single week here. We're going to experience the reality of living in a broken and a sinful world. That is death. But death is not the end. Resurrection is coming. Resurrection is what awaits us because of Jesus, because he has defeated death. And he rules and he reigns. And so right now we live with hope. Hope in each and every day. Hope in what awaits us, not death but life. New life in Jesus. And so church, uh, in this life, we can be ready to lose. Not because it's easy, because it won't be. But we have one another. We can lean on each other in life's sorrows and joys, whether wearing a mask or not. Because we know that the battle has already been won. May this promise from Jesus guide your hearts and your minds. And this promise that you have victory in whatever you may face. May this promise lead you out in joy on this day, perhaps as you win, maybe even as you dunk your pastor. May this promise carry you through any loss in this life, through any pain and sorrow, knowing that Jesus has already won. Because in this life, we are ready to lose knowing that our eternity is one in Jesus. Thanks be to God. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.